This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome to the At The Turn podcast. I am Joe. Nick is joining me from... A beautiful tropical location, I'm sure. Hello, Nick. How are you? Joe, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. We have a very full show. Someone's going to get to it. We're talking to a man who is playing 50 golf courses in 50 states. He's 50 years old. He's going to do this in 50 days. Soren Jacobson, instead of trying to join the senior tour like everyone else wants to do at the age of 50, he decided to do something way more attainable. Uh, We're going to talk to him coming up. We're also going to talk very briefly about the Players' Championship, which is coming up this week on the PGA Tour. Some people call it the fifth major. I just call it another tournament. We're also going to talk um, about a cool article that Nick wrote about a very interesting topic during play that I think many of you probably break. Yeah, that's right. And then we're going to talk about the most exciting lottery in golf. But first, Nick, a little LPGA talk. What would what would at the term be without LPGA talk, Joe? A half of a show is what it would be. <laughs> That's right. Um, as you know, the LPGA is awarding its last. I don't know if it's this is actually one question I have. I don't know if it's the LPGA or if it's the tournament specifically who's in charge of this. But somebody, somebody in charge is awarding the final sponsors exemption for the Shoprite Classic or Invitational or whatever to a Twitter vote. They've set up four. Um, professional women's golfers who failed to make the field and they said fans vote one of them in and uh, yeah so the fans are awarding the the final sponsors exemption via a Twitter vote Joe how do you feel about that well your um before you said women's professional golfers was not a vocal tick but I think you wanted to use another adjective before that because the four ladies who are in the Twitter vote all have something in common um, <laughs> yeah, they all have a large, they call, as they call it, they have a large Twitter following. Now, why might that be? Well, it's not because they hit it out there 350 yards. Um, they're all like fitness. There's like this weird niche 
in like the Twitterverse of like fitness golf model. It's all like the same kind of thing. There, there's probably like a dozen of them that that pop up on Twitter every now and then. And I think it's a sponsor's exemption. So I think it's Shoprite who made this decision to put it to a fan Twitter vote. I'm going to try to pronounce these names correctly. Stop me if you've heard of any of them. <laughs> Susanna Benavides, Carly Booth, Sharmila Nicolette, and Blair O'Neill. In case you're wondering, by the time it airs, they're going to have picked the person. But uh, Sharmila and Blair O'Neill are the top two. Now, Blair O'Neill is actually a Golf Channel personality, so she's legitimate for, like from that standpoint. Um, I mean, they all can play golf. It's not sure. like they're just taking the, the four women with the largest Twitter following. I mean, they exactly. all are capable of playing good golf. So we're not taking that part away from them. But I'm how do you a, feel I'm about this? But this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life, Joe. Come on. They're just taking the four hottest golfers who didn't qualify for the tournament and saying, hey, guys, you go vote one of them. And who do you want to see on your TV? I mean, <laughs> Right. How do you have any other perspective? Well, I agree with you, but for the sake of having a conversation longer than 30 seconds about it, I'm going to put on my LPGA marketing director hat. <laughs> right, great. Like, okay, diehards don't care. They're going to tune in either way. Like, I suppose the mindset of the marketing director is that you want to attract people who would not normally want to watch women's professional golf. Like, that's the whole idea because, like, me and you and all the golf nerds out there – I don't care what a golfer looks like. Like, I genuinely don't. And I guess the analogy that I would come up with, it's kind of like when sports networks or TV networks replace a 45-year-old female sideline reporter with a 25-year-old female sideline <laughs> reporter. Like, A, who is tuning into a football game for the sideline reporter? Most football fans care more about someone who knows how to do that job well rather than how they're going to look on camera for the six seconds they're actually going to be on camera. It's, it's crazy to me. Um, but I guess, I guess that's really the only argument for it is that they want to attract people who wouldn't normally watch women's professional golf, right? I mean, why else else would they do it? That's the exact argument. I read an article that was, you know, in the very end of the article, which was like the, the press release was like for the naysayers out there, just remember we're putting this, they were putting this product in front of 65,000 fans or however many it is that wouldn't otherwise be watching it. And I'm like, give me a break. And so Joe. I'm going to break this down for you in, in terms that you can relate to. Oh. So so just brace yourself for this. Uh, you're in Portland, Oregon. And so we're going to make a little uh, yes. health food restaurant analogy. So you're, <laughs> you run a health food restaurant, right, Joe? Okay. And a health food restaurant might not be for everybody. You know, not everybody likes to eat health food. But the people who do eat health food, you know, you're catering to them and you're fulfilling your mission of giving them healthy food. But one day you say, you know what? We need to get some more people in here. So – we're going to bring in a vote between four four foods that have a, a huge following that everybody likes. So you're going to have people vote between a double bacon cheeseburger, a stuffed crust pizza, a chili cheese dog, and a 32-ounce milkshake because, because they have huge followings and people love them. And they're legitimate foods. People order those foods and people eat those foods. So, you know, why not? You're a restaurant. But really, are you fulfilling your mission by – adding one of these things to your menu or you might be bringing more people into your restaurant because you have a double bacon cheeseburger but are those the people who you're who you originally sought to bring into your restaurant when you started this I love your analogy I listened to most of it 
and I'm sure our listeners loved it, but I was just trying to picture, <laughs> I was just trying to imagine what I would call my like natural, healthy food grocery store. I only came up with Joe's Grocers. That's the best I could do. <laughs> but it was a really good analogy, and I have nothing else to add. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, you know, the, the ratings for the ShopRite Classic will probably be through the roof because of this, and we'll just have to wait to see. We should, you know, we, we should actually check on that. We should see what the ratings were for this week's LPGA event, event just a, you know, a regular tour event, and this one with, like, you know, the Twitter vote and see if there was a big spike in the ratings. <laughs> yeah, a huge spike for the ShopRite Classic. I mean, it's just, like, to me makes me cringe that this is how you're going to – you're trying to give – like, it, yeah. it, it undermines – everything else that that they're doing right to in my opinion and i'm not i'm not hating on this i'm not hating on the lpga i'm hating on it because i think it diminishes their mission is what i really think yeah i agree because you know a fair amount of their audience i have to assume is like junior golfers girls who are like 11 you know 10 12 13 years old who really for like role models. really exactly really like golf and they like christy kerr not because of how she looks but how she sticks a wedge from 90 yards to 2 feet you know, that's what they care about. It's 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 idiotic. Wow. I and think I think it's the I, first time we agreed on something on this show. It is. Episode let's, two. Let's not do it again. <laughs> um, Nick, you wrote a really cool article for uh, Golf WRX this week. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate um, that. It was, it, was, it was about something that is never talked about, which is what I appreciated. Tell the people what it was about. So it, – I call it golf's walk of shame. You you hit a tee shot, and it doesn't have to be a tee shot, but most of the time it's a tee shot, and you walk up there to find it, and you can't find it. Now, whether you were just lying to yourself about how good it was, or maybe somebody, somebody on the next fairway picked it up, or maybe you got a bad kick that you didn't see, whatever reason, you can't find it. It might be out of bounds. Who knows? But if you're following the rules, you got to walk back to the tee re-tee by now there's probably another group on the tee and there's probably a group putting on the green behind them waiting to be on that tee and they're all looking at you like what are you doing and the rule is you got to go back and re-tee and i just don't think that it's practical i mean in reality if you look back and there's and there's a foursome waiting on that tee you're not walking back there and you know but now how do you proceed and the the interesting thing is when the usga and r and rna propose new rules to golf they didn't address this, but they did address the fact that they didn't address this <laughs> and say, hey, look, we know it's a problem. Nobody's following this rule. We don't have a way to fix it. But if you choose to break the rule, here's how you should break it, which is guess where it went out of bounds or where it was lost, drop, add to, and continue your day. Do you so, think that's a fair, a, a fair way to proceed? I do, because you're right. It's very unrealistic to hit what you think is a really good tee shot. Like, maybe you're playing a course for the first time. You hit a really good tee shot, and, oh, my gosh, there's a big patch of out-of-bounds that I may have hit my ball into. Let's spend five minutes to look for it because it was a really good shot. I don't want to walk back to the tee, and now I'm in this awkward spot of, like, ugh, I'm playing a really good round. Like, I want this score to be posted, but I don't want to walk back to the tee because (laughs) there's three angry bros up there who have been (laughs) slamming beers all day. We're on 16. I don't want to walk back there and have to hit another tee ball. And maybe I hit that one out of bounds too. And then I really feel like a jerk. (laughs) Exactly. So there, there does need to be some, yeah, there, there, there really does need to be something like this, Nick. Yeah. And, And I was just wondering like under what circumstances would I actually walk back? Like if, if I was the only one on the course and there was nobody on there, nobody on the hole behind me, 
uh, I might walk back. If I have a really good round going and it's late, like it's 16, but I, all I got to do is like, like make two bowies to shoot the best score of my life, you know, on 17 and 18. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go back even if there's guys waiting. But like maybe if I have like a $50 bet with somebody and, and like even if I lose this hole, I can still win the bet, but I got to, you know, have a legitimate score on this hole. Like maybe I go back, but there's not a lot of circumstances when I'm going back. And I even talked to uh, one of my buddies who's the assistant pro at TPC Boston. And he said, yeah, if somebody went back and slowed the whole round and slowed the whole day down, like people would be pissed. Like they would hear about it. It's, it's not kosher, which is funny that it's not kosher to follow the rules. Yeah, there is some level of like acknowledgement or that you have to concede that some rules in golf while are important, we just can't really follow them because golf doesn't exist in a bubble. Like, there's circumstances and situation. Maybe daylight's an issue. There's a number of reasons why you shouldn't walk back. I do think it should be a two-stroke penalty, though. I saw some sort of, like, back and forth on how much of a penalty it should be because if you re-tee your ball, presumably if you're looking for that long and find yourself in this scenario, your first tee shot was pretty good. So where you're going to drop your ball, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. So I personally think it should be a three-shot penalty and not a two-shot penalty. I think you should be hitting your fifth shot instead of your fourth. But fifth, that's just me. I yeah, mean, four four makes sense because it's a stroke and distance penalty. So you hit your first shot, then there's a stroke penalty and a distance penalty, and then you hit your fourth shot. So yeah, but that makes sense. fifth shot. Whoa, that's, for for me, you're taking. No. <laughs> if it's if it's a three stroke penalty, I'm walking back. Well, for There's me, no way. Because well, think about it. Because you by doing that, you're gaining a pretty big advantage over the course in your round. So if you were to walk back, you'd be hitting your third shot. You hit your third shot. If you don't hit it very good, and guess what? After a walk of shame, you're probably not going to make a terrific swing. You're you're hitting your third shot. Where that ball lands is your fourth shot. So you're saying that you're going to take. All of that pressure and all of that guilt and shame that is taking you back to the tee box, you're going to put a good swing on the ball and find yourself in a good position. I just don't think that's going to happen. I so think for saying, like, there's a walk of shame, one stroke penalty. <laughs> a stroke for distance, a, a stroke for drop, and a stroke for shame. Yes, you need a shame stroke. <laughs> I mean, your argument makes sense, but it's that's about as ridiculous as the rule in the first place. I mean, a three-stroke penalty, you're lying... You're hitting your fifth shot from 200 yards from the hole. I mean, at that point, just take an eight and move to the next tee box. The uh, lesson, as always, is accuracy off the tee is paramount in golf. <laughs> wow. Wow. Nick, I've heard people say it should only be a one-stroke, but all right, this is... <laughs> this is I know. We could, we could go on uh, forever about this. Nick, I had a, I had a very exciting morning. Um, I did some light show prep this week as opposed to last week, so that's, <laughs> that's a good progression. Um, I logged on to a website called masters.com and currently on masters.com through June 1st, you can apply for the master's ticket lottery. Now, what this is, you probably think of master's tickets as very expensive and exclusive. In fact, they are exclusive over here by itself. And then they're expensive over here by itself. So what I mean by that is if you want to buy StubHub tickets a month before the Masters starts, you can do so and you can get yourself in for a couple grand. Expensive. Or you do this Masters ticket lottery, you put your name in, goodness knows how many names they actually pick out of the thousands that submit. 
I imagine it's just like a bunch of old dudes in a smoke-filled room who have like a giant, you know those big balls they have for bingo? And they have everyone's name in like this giant ping pong ball and like two names spit out. And those are the only two people that get master's tickets. Because look, Nick, they're actually very inexpensive. The um, practice rounds, which is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Wednesday's the par three, just 75 bucks a ticket. For tournament rounds, 115 bucks is all it's going to cost you if you win that lottery. Did you enter the lottery? First of all, I got I to gotta compliment your word picture. That's the best word picture. Anybody's <laughs> painted me in a long time. So, uh, yeah, the old dudes in the smoke-filled room. Did, 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 did you enter the lottery for the tickets, Joe? I did. <laughs> my, my, my girlfriend was over my shoulder. She saw what I was doing. She's like, are you going to apply for every day? And I said, you know what? If I have too many master's tickets, that's my favorite problem in the world to have. Um, oh, that's so funny because I was going on this morning, and I was like, okay, if I get all my friends to apply – and then all of our wives to apply. We just like times our our odds of winning by 16. But then it's like only one person per household can apply. So I look over at Ashley and I said, are you going to apply for master's tickets for 2018? <laughs> no. But but I didn't submit my application because I wasn't sure which day I wanted to go. Because uh, you only win the tickets for one day. Yeah, but are you really going to put all your eggs in the Sunday basket and just hope, well, I hope I get Sunday. I mean, wouldn't going on like the Tuesday, you, you get to go to Augusta National. Yeah, I know. It's it's tough. So so that's as far as I got. I haven't submitted my well, uh, my application yet, but I'm definitely going to. You better believe. You, you, have, you have a few more weeks. It ends June 1st. I encourage none of our listeners to apply as that would ruin my odds. So um, it should be. Uh, I would love to hear from someone who actually wins this thing. Maybe it's just a thing they put out there and no one actually even gets picked. That could be a do, possibility do as we well. Do we know when they when they pick the winners? Yes. Do they um, pick them like in June? You know, they, they do it very shortly thereafter. And I was told via email that even if you don't get tickets, you will get an email. So there's going to be a point in mid-June <laughs> that I'm going to receive an email from Augusta. And I assume that it's... Sir, you've won tickets to Sunday at the Masters. It's like uh, it's like college acceptance. You either get like the, the little dinky envelope or like the huge one. Exactly. Send me my private like calligraphied invitation in the mail, like signed by Tiger and all the past champions. That's that's all I'm looking for. <laughs> all right, uh, we've been we we've we've been uh, prattling on for a while here. Let's get to Sora Jacobson. Uh, he's going to be joining us right after this. If you like what you're listening to and at the turn, please rate and review us on iTunes. Visit our Facebook page where you can follow us on facebook.com slash at the turn and follow us on Twitter at at the turn pod. Joining us now is a man on a quest to play golf in all 50 states. Soren Jacobson. He's the author of the future book, Fairways and Freeways. Soren, where are you calling us from right now? Um, actually, ironically, I am in Pinehurst. Um, oh my gosh! Golf in the U.S. So um, the timing maybe is great for that. So let, let's start with this. Can tell okay. t- tell everyone what what you're doing? So I am traveling around the country. Um, I'm playing 50 rounds of golf in 50 states in 50 days. Uh, I turned 50 this year, and so it all kind of rounds out. <laughs> Wow. That, that, uh, I mean, the obvious question is how did this idea come about? But I think anybody who's ever played golf <laughs> can understand how this idea came about. But 
how did it come to fruition? I mean, to, to dream something like this up is one thing, but to put in, you know, to actually execute it is, is a whole nother beast, right? So how did, how did you, when did you take this idea from this is something that would be really cool to I'm going to do this? Well, so it, it kind of started as something I thought about when I was in college. So it's been festering for a while. Um, but, you know, when you're in your 20s, you kind of think of a 50-year-old as somebody with a walker. And, you know, I didn't take it very serious at that point. Um, but, you know, a couple of years ago, I played a lot of basketball. I play you know, often two or three hours um, a day. And so I'm in decent shape. And so about a year and a half ago or something like that, I started talking to my wife and saying, hey, I wanted to do this thing, and I think I can do it. So what do you think about it logistically? Um, and she's a project manager by trade, so she said it's, it's a big deal, but we can probably do it. Um, and so we started working on it, and... You know, it started with contacting courses, um, kind of generating or seeing what kind of interest was out there. Uh, turned out that you know, a lot of courses were really interested. We wanted to play um, courses that were interested in the project, not just you know, kind of handpick courses and go. Um, so there was a lot of communications. I've got about 3,000 emails, 3,500 maybe emails into this thing. Um, wow. My wife has, I don't know if she has as many, but a lot as well. She's been doing a lot of logistics. She's done all the travel planning and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of work. Needless wow. to say, your wife is very supportive of this endeavor. She is. Um, very Yes, <laughs> she is. Um, overwhelmingly so, frankly. Uh, yeah, she's, I, she's traveling with me, um, and she's really making a lot of this happen. I was going to ask, I've been married less than a year, so I'm recently married, and I just got to know how the conversation went when you came home from work one day and said, hey, honey, <laughs> how about I go play 50 courses in 50 states in 50 days? What do you think of that? <laughs> I mean, how did how did that one go when you first, you know, kind of broke the news to her that this was going to be a serious thing? Well, so I have a lot of ideas, and I come home a lot of days with ideas, so I think the first thing for her was to take it seriously, um, or at least as, you know, an idea that was more than just something that was going to simmer for a while and maybe turn into something or maybe not. Um, but the more we talked about it, you know, the more, I mean, she, she knows how much I love playing the game. Um, she loves, on, she knows how much I love to travel and she, she likes to travel a lot as well. Um, so a lot of the pieces kind of fell into play. She's, she's worked remotely for the last, I don't know, six years. So, you know, for her, work was an issue. Um, I work for the legislature. When they're not in session, I can take time off and I can save up vacation. So time off from work wasn't a big deal for me. So it wasn't intimidating from those standpoints, which I think would be the deal breakers for a lot of people. So, yeah, we're, I was just going to say work's the big hurdle. That's uh, so that's convenient that you have you have you can fit it in with your work schedule and it's not a it's not a hurdle there. So that's that's huge. Yeah, it really is. Soren. Where did you start, and where are you going to finish? So we're going to we, we put we put a lot of time and energy into the obvious choice of where to finish. <laughs> we're going to finish in Hawaii. Um, I like to joke around with my golf playing friends that after 50 days or 49 days, I guess, or no, 50 days of avoiding um, sand and water with everything I have, I'm going to spend as much time in the sand and water as I can. Right <laughs> um, so we're going to finish there. We started in Oregon. Kind of went down the west coast, across the bottom of the country. We're working our way up the eastern seaboard now, and then we go across the top, fly up to Anchorage and play there. We'll play midnight golf up there. Um, 
and then down oh. to Hawaii to finish cool. it up. That's so cool. What 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 has been the course that you have looked forward to the most or that you've already played that has been the most enjoyable? So I, I think going into it, the course I was looking forward to the most, and I'm still very much looking forward to this course, is um, Fossil Trace in Golden, Colorado. Um, looks like a great course. They've actually got fossils on the course, which is where the name comes from. Wow. So it just looks cool. They've got like a big rock outcropping that runs through one of the fairways. There's just a lot of cool elements to the course. So I'm really looking forward to playing that one. Um, it was the first course I introduced when I did my course intros because I was excited about it. Um, and I'm, I'm trying not to play favorites, but I kind of tip my hand early on that one. So I'm not afraid to admit <laughs> that. Um, probably the course that I've played so far, and then this is tough. There's my, and we were driving here today. Um, from South Carolina and talking about the courses and kind of rating them between me and my wife. Um, and, you know, we were talking about one of the courses that wound up pretty far, to, you know, we've played 15 so far. And one of the courses that was pretty far down the list, you know, she was like, well, that was a great course. Why is it so low? And I'm like, well, we've just played so many really good courses. So it's hard to pick one. But if I had to... And part of this is probably because it's where I played my best round, but I would probably say um, Farm Length at Purcell Farms. Um, that was just a terrific course in so many ways. One of the logistical things has to be, um, like, you have to find courses that you're going to play that are along the route. I mean, you can't go all the way down to Miami and Florida and then come back up because you're just wasting time on your drive. So did you have to kind of consider, like, the location of the courses in relation to, you know, efficiently hitting each state in one state a day? Um, in some cases, very much so. In other, you know, up in the Northeast, it's not as big a deal. Um, mm. California was absolutely driven by the map. Um, we played Aspen Lakes in Oregon, and we were playing a course down in Henderson, Nevada, on day three. So California absolutely had to be, had to be you know, kind of in the middle of the state, maybe on the I-5 corridor, you know, we were very limited. We couldn't play up north in California. We couldn't go too far south because, you know, the drives were nine hours every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, uh, that was, I, I got to know, okay, how, right. how's your body holding up? Like, what are you doing to stay fresh? Because I played nine holes like three days ago and I'm still sore. So I can't <laughs> imagine 18 a day for 50 straight days. Did you have to kind of prep a little bit or are you just, like you said, you're in, you're in pretty good shape, so it's not a big deal? Well, I wouldn't say it's not a big deal, and, and frankly, I've gone into it um, a little overconfident. Um, you know, my, the first thing Melanie said, my wife's name, name is Melanie, um, the first thing she said when I brought the idea up and we started talking about it seriously was, okay, well, you've got to go play a little mini tour in town and just make sure your body's going to be okay. So I played for 10 straight days last year um, just to let's test this thing out. Discovered a few things then. I used to have an interlocking grip that I realized was sort of tearing my um, left pinky finger off my hand. Um, so I had to ditch that and go to an overlapping grip. Um, we kind of identified a couple things there. But now, you know, I'm 15 rounds in now, and I've got a slightly torn meniscus in my right knee. Um, and that's been bugging me the last couple of days. Not a lot, but I know it's there. Um mm-hmm. Just some general soreness. I'm not finishing my swing sometimes as much as I'd like to, so I'm leaving the ball out to the right and stuff like that. So it's taking some getting used to. Um, and the last few days have been, you know, the worst golf I've played. And I think, you know, some of that is the fatigue. Because it's just different. You know, I 
I work out a lot or whatever. You know, I'm, ex- I'm, out, I'm active, but it's all different muscles. I don't use golf muscles as much. Is there any, like, yeah. spa or massage day that you've planned out, like, halfway through as, like, a rejuvenation day? No, that's what I should have done. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we kind of inadvertently had a day, um, but it was so early that it didn't, I don't think it helped much. We we were caught in the middle of those big storms that went through Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma. We actually had two days get rained out, rained and lightninged out. Um, one of them we made up at that point. The other day we had we actually had a day off. We didn't play Missouri when we intended to. We wound up with a day down there, but it was only five or six days in, so really didn't do a lot. And now May 27th is going to be a marathon. We play Cog Hill in Chicago, drop down to Missouri, play St. Albans there, and then we have to get back up to Iowa spend the night there play in Iowa the next morning. Oh, my God. So 30, 36 holes in three different states in one day. Wow. <laughs> well, in, in in a day and a half or whatever. It'll be yeah. two on the 27th, yeah. and then the morning of the 28th, we're up again. So, so wow. do you have a certain that, price? Awesome. So what, after this is all over, how long do you think it'll be before you play golf again just for fun? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I was asked that question um, a week ago on a radio interview in, in Mississippi. Um, and I said, oh, I think I'll feel like going out right away, you know, because I felt great. Um, and a, a week makes a difference. Because now I'm like, you know, I'm not touching anything for two weeks, at least. And, and you know, I don't know. I'm really, I'm still enjoying the rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was struggling a little bit today, yesterday and today. Um, just the frustration that comes with not hitting the ball the way you want to. Um, but I'm really still enjoying the golf. Now, I am playing some really beautiful courses. I get back to my home courses that are, you know, home courses <laughs> that I know inside and out, even, even you know, if they're nice, but I still know them inside out. may not carry the same excitement, so we'll see how that goes. Right. Do you have a certain criteria for playing these rounds? You mentioned that you had, you'd given these courses a heads up of what your project is, what you're doing. Uh, so do you play alone, or do you hook up with random people at the course? Do you have, like, buddies in certain states where you say, hey, I'm going to be down in Texas at such and such a date. You should come out and play this course in Houston. What does that all look like? So for the most part, um, I'm playing everything alone. I'm playing it first thing in the morning. Um, and it's really just for expediency. Um, I've played with a couple people or around a couple people that I've talked to along the way. Um, but for the most part, and the, and the reason is I'm trying to turn in my rounds in about three hours just because, you know, we've got a six hour drive to the next state in the afternoon and I'm writing the whole time. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep up with that and all that. So for the most part, I, I get out first thing, I set it up with all the clubs to be the first person out every morning, first tee time, first one out going alone. Um, and most of my rounds have been, in fact, almost every, well, every round has been under three and a half hours had three, I think, that were under three. The exception is um, in Georgia, I didn't wind up going off until two in the afternoon. Of course, I played, and then that round took almost five hours. That was probably the trip. (laughs) That must have been a long day. Um, it really was. Is there any is there anything that's non golf related that you're like okay I'm gonna be in this part of the country you're near this thing that like I really also want to see that's that's not part of the golf or is this 100% fairways and freeways? Well, 
So the book's Fairways and Freeways, and the freeways part, the idea is try to do non-golf stuff um, and then to try to you know, pick up some of the flavor of the nation and that sort of stuff. And it, Originally, ambitiously, we were going to try to make that about 50-50. The reality of it is it's really kind of golf, drive, right, sleep, start over. Um, we're not getting nearly as much of that in as we want. We're trying to get a little bit here and there, um, but just we haven't gotten nearly as much non-golf stuff in as we want. One of the things I have been able to do is we're trying to highlight every city we go to. We're trying to highlight a charity as local as possible. A lot of cases it's not easy to focus on something that local. Um, but we're highlighting a charity everywhere we go just to kind of throw a little light on, on somebody else. Um, and we have been able to do that. And what's been nice about that is, you know, you kind of learn a little bit about the community and that sort of thing as you go. That's that's, awesome. that's a really cool idea. And to give people sort of more of an idea of what you're doing, following your journey, you're all over social media, right? Yeah, I yeah, I am. Um, I'm on. I've, I've got a website. I've got a blog. I'm on. Probably am the most active on Twitter. I've got a Facebook page. Got an Instagram account. So yeah, I'm kind of splattered all over the place. Do you have a rough time of uh, when you hope the book will be available? So we're targeting September. Um, that, that's ambitious, but I'm doing a lot of the writing as we go. You know, we've got the six-hour drive every day. My wife's doing most of the driving, so I can sit there with a the laptop in my laptop in my lap and type away. Um, so the hope is sometime around September. Um, you know, like I've, I've told all my friends and family, that there's a there's a big gap between I'm going to write a book and I've written a book. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, you mentioned, Soren, sorry, I was just going to ask, you mentioned you were a legislator um, in your home state. Does that mean you have a lot of experience writing, or is this kind of your first endeavor? Um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm not a legislator. I work for the legislature, ah. but I'm not a legislator actually myself. I, I do IT, um, so I do support for the legislature. Uh, but no, this, is the, this will be the first book I've taken on by myself. I've helped... Um, Proofing and editing, stuff like that, for another book that was published, but I haven't actually written one myself. Wow. Well, that's really impressive. I'm sure that, you know, you're you're writing it now, so each and every day, you you know, you're you're captivating kind of what happened that day, and it's fresh. So I'm sure that's probably the best way to go about it, rather than go on this two month journey and then come back and try to remember day one. <laughs> Absolutely, because, you know, some of these courses are, are great and they're playing these fantastic holes, but, you know, at this point, this many rounds in, you know, we were talking today about courses and stuff, and I'm like, you know, was that hole on that course or was it on, you know? So, yeah, without the notes, I think I'd be doomed. You know, it's 900 holes of golf, so they can easily blend. That sounds fun, but absolutely exhausting, Soren. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's Soren Jacobson, the author of Fairways and Freeways. He hopes to have it done this September. He's still in the middle of an incredible journey. He's playing 50 courses in 50 states in 50 days at the age of 50. Soren, get some rest. Thank you for sparing 20 of your valuable minutes with us. Absolutely. It was a good time. Thanks for having me. Well, we got a big old golf tournament coming up this week. Or do we? Nick, 
I got to be honest, I watch the players, but I watch golf every week. I'm, I'm a weirdo. Uh, when, when I wake up on weekends, what's the first thing I do? I flip on the European Tour and see what's going on. We got the Players' Championship this week. I don't care anymore about this than I do, you know, Colonial or the Texas Open or, really? you know, the Disney Classic. It's, it's whatever. It's a cool Surprising. golf course, but I, I just don't – it doesn't do anything for me. I love the players. I really do love the players, and I don't watch golf every week. I'm a cable cutter. And uh, I'm in a I'm in the Hawaiian time zone where it's it's much more difficult for me to just kind of casually watch things because it's either on at like 5 a.m. or, you know, whatever else. And if it's a nice day outside, I'm probably going to, you know, go play golf if it's just the Texas Open. So so I have to kind of plan when I'm going to watch golf and the players. I love the players and uh, I'll definitely be watching the players next week. So um, interesting that you really don't care about it. Kind of offended. <laughs> you, you, you sound kind of offended. Uh, yeah, it's. It's whatever. I just think that it's a lot easier to name champions of major golf tournaments. Like, if you tell me a name, I could probably tell you what majors they won. But if you told me a play, like a golfer, there's no way that I could tell you what players won the players' championship and what didn't. Like, I I looked at like the past champions of the players. You have such luminaries as um, Stephen Ames won the players' championship. Craig Perks also won the players' championship. Legends of the game, Sergio Garcia. Oh, you can't make fun of Sergio anymore, can you? Because when the mat, see that stinks. <laughs> I loved having Sergio as a go-to person to make fun of. That really go with stinks. Ricky, now. Ricky doesn't have a major, and he's got a players. He does, but I actually really like Ricky Fowler, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give him the business. Jason Day won it. It's fine. It's it's nothing more than fine to me. Whoever wins this is gonna win a lot of money and a lot of exemptions, but. Besides that, Nick, it doesn't get them a whole lot. Wow. You know, I think it's interesting, the the fifth major talk, because, I mean, we all love the majors. And, you know, I I don't like the fifth major talk, but I think it's the fifth best tournament. I just don't think we need to make an even wider gap between the majors and the non-majors, because I think there's already, like, I think there needs to be a really good tournament that's not a major, so it's not just, like, the majors are awesome, and the rest of them suck. You know what I mean? So I think it's good that there's a, a really good non-major. So that's the reason I don't like the fifth major talk, not because I don't think it's as good as the PGA. I mean, I think it's just as entertaining as as the second-tier majors. Um, but I just think we need more really good non-major tournaments, you know, so the whole schedule is strong and not just the majors. Yeah, and the short par three, the players is the one with the island green and the hit it in the water or they don't, and then someone wins or they don't. It's, you know, it's fine. It's a golf that's, tournament. That's not an exciting shot for you? It is, but it's so gimmicky to me. It's gimmick? Uh, it's gimmicky. I, I'm going to go with Game Changer. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, if you're coming to the 17th, I mean, like, no matter how big your lead is, we saw it in the Masters with Jordan Spieth last year. Like, if there's a potential for a blow-up hole, like, everybody's really in it. So I think it just makes it more, you know exciting i would argue that i've seen very few people over the 20 years or so i've been following golf come to the 17th with a lead and gack it into the water it it happens very infrequently and i know it's easier for me to say in my comfy radio studio in downtown portland and far away from pontravedra beach where tpc sawgrass is for the tournament is played however it's a 125 yard shot these are the best players in the world I would say 80, 90% of the time, especially the guy who's leading the golf tournament, is going to hit a pretty good shot in that situation. 
right, they may not hit it in the water, but it might be a situation where a guy who's one off the lead gets aggressive at it, and a guy who's leading maybe goes for the middle of the green. I think, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty positive Ricky birdied that hole. I don't think he was in the lead going into that hole, and he birdied the 17th on Sunday, the day he won it. So, I mean, that that's exciting when a guy who's chasing goes for a two on 17 on that on that like they always put the pin like if you barely miss by like a yard you're gonna go in the water on Sunday so like you know it's a gutsy shot it is and I think he actually birdied it like four times in a row to end the tournament or something crazy like that because they actually have the playoff there when they have it and he just stuffed it to like five feet and made the putt which was very cool that's fine Nick who do you think is gonna win this tournament um, gosh, a week ago, I would have said there's no way this guy had a chance, but, uh, I don't know how you can bet against Dustin Johnson right now. I know it's the cliche pick. He's number one in the world, but, uh, he won three straight tournaments. Uh, the Wells Fargo, he, I think finished second or one shot off one shot out of the lead or one shot out of the victory. Um, I really was, was skeptical about him returning. I thought he came back from his back injury too fast and was too aggressive playing three weeks in a row. Clearly, Dustin Johnson knows Dustin Johnson better than Nick Heidelberger because he showed up, shot minus nine, finished second, and uh, he's got all the momentum in the world. So I'm not going to bet against DJ. Well, I'll go a little bit off the beaten path. Not not too much, though. In fact, this isn't even like a crazy pick. John Rahm from Spain has been playing lights out all season. He played really good this past week as well. He made like an 80-foot putt to win his first tournament. In San Diego at Torrey Pines, he's awesome. He's been playing great all year. He hits the ball a mile. Uh, I like him. My dark horse, I'm going to ask for your dark horse in a second, Nick, so that'll, that'll give you time to do some quick Googling while I stall for time. Davis loved the third. Yeah. DL3. Okay. DL3. He's won it a few times. He's still playing a pretty regular tour schedule because he won recently, so he's exempt for the next two years. And... I believe in the old man golfer with a little mojo. Maybe the wind blows a little bit. Crafty Davis Love competing. He's hanging in there. I don't know. Maybe he goes out early on Sunday. Posts like a 66. The young guns, they see Davis Love at the top of the leaderboard. They fall <laughs> away. They get tired. They get they get scared of Davis Love the third. So he's my dark horse. He'll probably miss the cut. Uh, <laughs> uh, my dark horse, Joe, I got Alex Norin. I, I, I think he's top 20 in the world, so I don't know how dark horse he can really be, but um, he, he played really well at the Wells Fargo. And he's he's kind of on top of his game right now, and I don't really have much better reason than that, other than uh, he's playing well. He's he's really good. His name's Alex Norton, and he might win the players. <laughs> I love that analysis. One more thing before we close up shop today. We're going to talk about a man who I've been apologizing for unjustly for the better part of a decade. He is the former quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I would put him third all-time for the Dallas Cowboys in the um, quarterback department. But, Nick, we're not talking about his quarterback performance. We're talking about his golf performance. Yeah, this is my favorite story of the week for sure. (laughs) I have despised the Cowboys my entire life. I have no reason to like the Cowboys. I have no reason to like Tony Romo particularly, but – He's always kind of like been on Golf Channel every once in a while. And like you always know he was, you know, a, a big golfer. Um, I think was it 2010. He he went through U.S. Open qualifying. He's doing it again this year. And God, I, I really want him to make it. I mean, his his qualifying is really soon. So by the time you listen to this, it might be water under the bridge. But here's why Tony Romo can make it to the U.S. Open, Joe. Oh, 
he Tell has me. been defying the odds his entire life. He played his college football at none other than Eastern Illinois, uh, FCS school. He was an undrafted free agent, but that didn't stop him. He signed a contract. And in 2003, in his, his quarterback class, I'm just going to go through some of the guys who were quarterbacks from that class who Romo had a way better career than. The luminaries. Right? <laughs> Carson Palmer, Byron Leftwich, Rex Grossman. Mm, sexy Rexy. <laughs> sexy Rexy. I mean, these are guys that, that everybody said were way better than Romo, and he beat the odds, and he had a great NFL career or a, a pretty good NFL career. And so why can't Romo defy the odds once again? Qualify for the U.S. Open show. How fun would it be if Sunday the U.S. Open, you've got Rory, you've got DJ, and they're all chasing Tony Romo. My palms are getting sweaty. I'm just nervous <laughs> thinking about it. No, look, it, I'm, I mean, it would be a lot of fun. He's going to be involved with golf pretty soon. He got the gig next to Jim Nance to be the number one color man for the NFL on CBS. He's talked about wanting to announce golf before, so I'm sure he'll make his way onto CBS's golf coverage. The only thing about him becoming a broadcaster, and maybe he'll stink and be out of it in two years, I really hope he's good because I spent a decade apologizing for Tony Romo, justifying his greatness. And I'm going to use that word greatness as a football player, and I'm going to have to do it as a broadcaster as well. I'm going to have to stick up for Tony Romo. People are going to turn him (laughs) off in disgust, and I'm going to say, no, Tony Romo is an excellent broadcaster. He carries that bum Nance and makes a quality broadcast. (laughs) I mean, I, I hope this works out. I, mean, I think I think for him to go, I'm, I'm just ignoring your broadcast commentary because I have nothing to add. <laughs> what does he have to like do well in this qualifier this week? And then and then he goes to like a 36 hole regional or something. And if he does well enough in that, I don't know if he has to win it or like top two or five or whatever. Then he's in the open. So he's really two tournaments away from being in the open. I mean, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I'm two tournaments and about 18 on my handicap. It's got to be like a 1.3 to, to even go to those, show up at those things. Yeah, it's whatever. I hope, I really hope he makes it. He's not going to. If, if I'll tell you what, if Tony Robo breaks 80 in, in, in his qualifier, I will be shocked. No, he'll break 80. He'll shoot like a 75, 74. You're putting, okay, over, under, 76, Tony Romo for his under. round. Under? Yes. Okay, I got the over. Next round of golf, we play on it? All right. Oh, yeah! It is locked in. At the turn, listeners will back me up on this. Tony Romo. I hate that I... Oh, that was a terrible bet. Now I have to root against Tony Romo, but <laughs> I think that'll so 76? take... 76? Oh, man. Yeah, he... So if he, if he, he qualified if, when he was, like, a week out of NFL training camp. Like, clearly he's not working on his golf game, and he still got to the second round where he, like withdrew or whatever, but who cares? Do you think he's waking up at 6 a.m. and just pounding golf balls in the range right now? Yes. 100%. (laughs) No way. There's no other version of Tony Romo. No. I'll tell you the version of Tony Romo. He's wearing that CBS blazer all around Dallas right now, getting free tables wherever he wants. (laughs) That's his concern, is getting free tables. (laughs) I'm I'm really putting myself in Tony Romo's position right now. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Nick, this has been a fun show. Uh, You know, it got off the rails, but I almost feel like it got better when it went off the rails. Your take? The podcasts are meant to do. Go off the rails. Well, yeah. if, if, if that the turn doesn't work out, our sub-podcast will be called Off the Rails. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right, Nick, 
Uh, talk to you next week. We're going to have another show next week, so I'll talk to you then. All right. Sounds good, Joe. Later. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.